Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 38 of the Morning Round Trip Podcast. My name is Drew Frank, joined once again by my co-host Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning. And here on August 17th, we've got another update from the Reds camp, and it is good news all around. Every player and coach tested from both the Reds and the Pirates have tested negative after the Reds' first initial positive test. And they've got a flight currently scheduled for Tuesday morning. So the team is still hoping to travel to Kansas City tomorrow, play their games as scheduled, and end up only missing the two games against the Pirates, which would be much better than the disastrous lack of control that both the Cardinals and the Miami situation went under and all the games that they lost. We also have an update on MLB's protocols once again as they continue to add and change rules. We heard that Juan Soto was a little bit outraged, and so were the Nationals, about the fact that he was symptom-free and he had cleared his tests, but he couldn't string together enough negative tests to be cleared. Well, the MLB released a new rule, and at face value, this might sound like a very bad idea, but the new rule is that players who test positive can apply to return to play even while they continue to test positive. And like I said, that doesn't sound like it makes much sense, but epidemiologist Zach Binney, who we've mentioned before on the podcast, confirms that this is consistent with the latest CDC guidelines and that this is matching what the latest research and scientific knowledge is showing, that COVID has a contagiousness dissipation, which basically means the longer you have it, the less contagious you are. And the idea of this rule is to allow players to apply to return while they're still safe and they won't be causing more issues. So little interesting there. Zach Binney, the epidemiologist, said, like I said, it's okay. And he tweeted out that, you know I'll hit MLB when they do something bad. So maybe this isn't uh, anything to get too worried about or not that big a deal, but still kind of interesting in my opinion. Continuing to add to yesterday's list of All-Stars on the IL, not an All-Star yet, but likely has a few appearances ahead of him down his career, Bo Bichette. If there was an All-Star game this year, he's probably on pace to making it. One of the best players in the league, definitely the best player on this Toronto Blue Jays team, but he will be out for at least 10 days, and they're waiting to hear because he's got a knee injury that they aren't really sure how serious it is. And the Jays could be without him through September or all of the rest of 2020, depending how the results go. And for the Yankees, they lose DJ LeMahieu, the current AL batting leader, leads the league in average. And he joins Judge and Stanton and Severino and some of those other guys on this Yankees IL. Shades of 2019 because this team just can't stay healthy. Yankees fans, the injury bug is back, and that is not good news for you. Right now, the Yankees have their three best position players on the injured list. You've got Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and DJ LeMahieu now added to that list. Uh, That's not a good thing if you are the Yankees because you're looking to contend for the title in that American League East, and you've got a very important series coming up against the Tampa Bay Rays tomorrow. So you need to make sure that you have as many 
people healthy as possible to allow you to take those games and hopefully secure your spot atop this division. And maintaining their spot atop their own division, the Minnesota Twins take out the Kansas City Royals yesterday by a score of 4-2. to two. And this was a game where we split our predictions. I believed in the young Brady Singer, but it was Randy Dobnak who came out on top. 4-2, a, a pretty low-scoring game, especially compared to the other two games that we're about to talk about. Both of those other two games, the teams combined for 20 hits. Here, only 11 Kansas City, despite losing, they got out in front early, scored both of their two runs in the first two innings, and it was maybe a little bit of a bad sign for Randy Dobnak, because as a sinker baller, you want the ball on the ground, but Dozier tagged him for a home run, and Gordon tagged him for a home run, both solo shots, but the Royals showing they're able to lift the ball, he settled down, and him plus this Twins bullpen didn't allow a run for the rest of the game. But Singer, I mean, if there's a takeaway for Royals fans, he looked good. He impressed me. And another sinker baller in his own right, his command looked good at times, spotting pitches, got a couple called strikeouts, looked good. But the walks were a problem, man. The walks were not great. Two of the three runs he allowed came because they reached base via a walk. The first run was almost entirely his fault, where he walked a runner, then a wild pitch put him to second, he balked him over to third base, and a ground out scored him. The second run and third run both came on the bat of a Max Kepler two-run shot, but you take that home run out, and I know you just can't take a home run out, but you look (laughs) away from that at bat, and Singer, I thought, on the whole game, he looked pretty good. The only person who takes the home run out is the batter. (laughs) I think the big thing you mentioned it here was the difference between Dobnak and Singer in pitch command and just the way that they went about their performances on the mound. They put up pretty similar stat lines at face value. Dobnak goes five and a third, Singer five and two thirds. But the main difference was that Dobnak allowed three hits and only walked one, but Singer allowed four hits and walked four. That just can't happen if you're a guy who relies on slow-moving stuff, a guy who relies on putting the ball in the strike zone to produce ground balls. You need control if you're not going to be throwing the ball like a Garrett Cole. But I thought both teams, especially their bullpens, did a a really, really good job here in just limiting production. We saw Sergio Romo come in in the top of the ninth, and with emphasis, he ended the game striking out Kansas City's number two, three, and four hitters. So well done to Sergio Romo, a guy who's carved himself out a very impressive career as a closer, just like he carves up batters with that wicked slider. That thing has not lost a step. Really big games here for Minnesota as they try to secure their spot atop the American League Central. And they'll wrap up that series tonight as they finish the four-game set. Just a quick piece of breaking news as we're recording this. John Heyman has reported that all Reds again tested negative yesterday. So that's another good sign. That means both the Saturday tests and the Sunday tests were all negative. And I think at this point, very likely to expect them to play tomorrow night. They'd have to need a major roadblock to set them back at this point. And hopefully we don't see that. Now, moving on to our next game, the Battle of Los Angeles. Another game where we saw Dustin May on the mound, a guy we've been talking about a lot so far in 2020. He's got impressive stuff. We know what he can do with his pitches. Last night, he didn't quite have it, though. He goes four and a third and only allows two runs, didn't walk a single batter, 
but seven hits in less than five innings is not a pretty number for a guy that you hope can be your number one in not too many years from now. And the first run of the game that he allowed was a little unlucky. It was just a blooper that dropped in. And since there were two outs, Otani was able to score from second. But that's what happens when you allow seven hits. I mean, if you're going to let them put the ball in play that much, you're going to get a little bit unlucky. The other one was a solo shot that he allowed. But all that matters in the Dodgers' perspective is that he allowed less than Julio Tehran, who was also shaky. He only goes three and a third, six hits, four earned runs. And as the Dodgers win this one eight to three, those four earned runs would be all that he would have to give up to put this one too far out of reach against this Dodgers staff and a very sharp bullpen. Tehran only goes 60 pitches in this one. And we know he joined the team late and had a late start to his camp, so he's not fully stretched out. But equally probably pulled because of managing his load and his poor performance. He gives up four urns. The next reliever, Matt Andres, who tries to piggyback off him, also gives up four urns and just another stinker of a game from these Angels. This makes it four straight for these LA Angels, and it drops them to 7-15 and 15 on the year, while the Dodgers are propelled by their fifth win in a row, which moves them to 16-7. and seven. This is really bad news for Angels fans because... You went out, you made the big free agent acquisition of Anthony Rendon. Mike Trout is Mike Trout. Probably expected to find yourself in a better position in the American League West than you're currently sitting in. There were a couple key innings in this one. Dodgers put up a three spot in the third and a four spot in the fourth. A guy who spurred this Dodger offense in his first appearance in an MLB ballpark, Cabert Ruiz, Homers in his first MLB at-bat. A guy ranked as high as 20 on Baseball America's 2019 prospect rankings, so congratulations to him for the home run. Now, Rendon didn't have a bad game. He did go yard in this one, but I think the big, big issue here for the Angels is just that you need a better pitching staff. Bottom line, flat out, you just need more innings from your starters. You need guys who are going to be competitive. Yes, Dylan Bundy has been an absolute revelation this year. You can't rely on having five Dylan Bundys, just guys who come out of nowhere yeah. to impress you that, that nobody expected. You need solid arms. And I mentioned Rendon. They missed out on Garrett Cole. And I think at this point, you'd probably rather Garrett Cole than Anthony Rendon. And Julio Tehran is not another Dylan Bundy from what we've seen so far. The pitching, man, like you said, the Angels, according to fan graphs and their projected playoff odds, now have a lower chance of making the playoffs than the Orioles, the Blue Jays, and are only 2% ahead of the Royals by their prediction. Not the company they hope to be in. They currently trail the Rangers in both current standings and projected playoff chance. But part of that most recent stat is just because of how good these Rangers have been. Coming into their game yesterday, they had four wins. They were looking for their fifth, looking to sweep a series at Coors Field. But John Gray put that to sleep with a very, very strong start. One of the finest pitching appearances I've seen from him, I think, that I've ever watched. Goes seven innings, only allows three runs, but more importantly, only allows three hits and two walks. We know in Coors Field, you can get burned by the long ball, so limiting Hard contact is almost equally as important as limiting base runners as a whole. Here he only allows five base runners through seven innings. Very strong from him. All three runs did come on the long ball because we know that's what this Rangers lineup can do. 
and it was Ruthen Odor who hit a two-run shot that just stayed fair, and Joey Gallo who destroyed the ball nearly 450 feet. The other side of things, Kobe Allard, not that great. I I predicted the Rangers would win this, but I thought it would be in spite of Colby Allard. I, I knew he wasn't going to be great. He hasn't impressed me throughout his career. I don't think there's much there in terms of prospect status anymore. But here he was just almost unbearable. Like not not a game that you you can conceivably realistically pitch at a major league level. This is Angels level pitching. He goes three innings, eight hits allowed, six earned, walked a batter, struck out four, gave up a, a huge three run shot from Ryan McMahon, and he took them out of this game. But the Rangers battled back late against this Rockies bullpen. And they had the tying run at the plate by the end of the game. It was Jairo Diaz pitching to start that ninth inning, who loaded the bases, then walked in two runs to make it from 10-4 Rockies to 10-6 Rockies. And then with the bases loaded, Scott Heineman came up to the plate, representing the tying run. And he laced one up the middle at 102 mile an hour off the bat, but it hit the pitcher Estevez and was flipped to first to end it. If that ball gets through two run score, the game then becomes 10 to 8, and the 3 4 5 would have been due up for the Rangers. Like they might have had a chance, but tough luck. The pitcher gets in the way of it, and that was it for the Rangers yesterday. It's a rough go when your starter allows as many runs as your team is able to score in a game. You're not going to win like that, and that's just the bottom line. You mentioned the big home run to Ryan McMahon. Wasn't the only run production the Rockies would see in the second inning as Trevor Story singled on a pop-up to, I guess, first base. It was a bit of a misplay between Derek Dietrich and Runet Odor. A little bit of miscommunication there. Ball drops in and a run scores. And then Charlie Blackman, a guy who in the past couple of games has seen his average drop below 500. I know that's a big surprise. We expected him to hit probably 550 this year. He gets himself back on track with uh, one of his two hits on the day. He goes two for three. His other hit included a double, and he drives in two and walks twice as well. So his average back up to 446. Not exactly a slouch in that department. And you talked about it. John Gray, I thought, was way more impressive than I think either of us could have given him credit for. I said in my prediction that this game would hinge on John Gray's performance, and for the most part it did. Those seven strong innings and only allowing three runs are exactly what you need if you're the Rockies from him. But that's the problem. The consistency just hasn't shown itself to be there for John Gray. And when you're trying to compete for that second spot in the NL West, these are the kind of games you need to have from guys like John Gray. And just to quantify what I was talking about for the Rangers earlier, if you look at the stats, there was 20 hits between these two teams combined, and that liner had a higher expected batting average than nine of the hits. So tough luck to end the game, but as you said, Gray deserved for his team to win this one, and the Rangers end their winning streak. Now tonight we look at a trio of games, four teams that will feature from the American League East, so we'll start there. Boston and New York. Now this is a series that hasn't looked good for Boston. They finish up the last game of the series at Yankee Stadium. But the reason I'm predicting them is because I think that this game goes to Boston. I think they salvage this game in the series. I like Martin Perez on the mound, and I don't like Montgomery from the Yankee side. This is Boston facing 
Yankees number five starter when Boston's rotation is made up out of five number five starters. So I think this is just about their only chance to try and grab a win, and I want to see him do it. Jordan Montgomery hasn't been the most impressive guy on this Yankees staff, to say the least. In his past couple of starts, he's given up three runs and five runs, respectively. That being said, though, I do think that while this Yankees lineup isn't going to be as potent as it has been in the past couple of weeks with Judge, Stanton, and LeMahieu all on the injured list, I think they're going to find a way to spur themselves to a victory here. I think Mike Talkman might have an impressive performance in this one. I'm going Yankees over Red Sox. The other game we're looking at is Ryu and Cobb in the AL East. The Orioles have been hot. The Jays a few games behind them in the standings. They have a chance to close that gap. I think behind their ace, Hyunjin Ryu, will look sharp, shut down this Orioles lineup, and take the win for Toronto. You want to talk about surprises on the season. How about Alex Cobb? I mean, this guy has really been impressive so far for an Orioles team that's kind of come out of nowhere to... Uh, surprised some people in that American League East. He's sitting at a 2.75 ERA, and he's 1-1 one one on the season. I think he's going to put together a strong performance in this one, and I just don't think the consistency's been there from Hyunjin Ryu so far. For the Blue Jays' perspective, I'm going Orioles over Blue Jays. And finally, on the West Coast, we've got the 16-6 Oakland A's taking on the 11-11 Diamondbacks. Don't let the records fool you, though. Both teams are coming in hot. They've each won four straight, and it's two of their stronger pitchers on the mound. Chris Bassett for Oakland, Zach Gallen for Arizona. This is a late-night game, 9.40 p.m. Eastern. Who are you taking in this very close matchup? This will be Zach Gallen's first time facing any of these Oakland batters that are expected to start in this game. And with as hot as this Oakland lineup has been, I think they might end up touching him up in this one. I think Matt Olson might contribute with another home run. And I'm going Athletics over Diamondbacks. I've got Oakland as well. I like what I've seen from Bassett, and I think they pushed their win streak to five. A couple quick notes from around the league yesterday. We saw the White Sox go back to back to back to back wow. off St. Louis. That's four for those keeping track at home. Moncada, Grandal, Abreu, Jimenez, four home runs. Very impressive there. We saw Framil Reyes put up the only two home run performance last night for uh, in their game against Detroit. And my guy, Eliezer Hernandez, goes five innings shutout against a very strong Atlanta Braves lineup, striking out nine. So the Marlins pitching staff continues to show flashes of brilliance. And I'm going to ask you for your early pick for NL 2020 MVP. There's a lot of guys that have been good. And a few guys we've already mentioned so far on this episode that are in the running for that. Who you got? Might be a bit of a generic answer, but so far I think it's been Charlie Blackman. I mean, anytime you put yourself in the talk for a 400 batting average season, regardless of how many games there are, I think you're going to garner some MVP votes. And he's not exactly slouching it in terms of slugging percentage or on-base percentage either, because his OPS sits at 1152. Very, very strong so far for Chuck Nasty. I'll go Juan Soto. I think he's getting better and better, and I think he's going to be the best player in baseball through the 2020s. I think we see three or four years until we get the Mike Trout versus Juan Soto who's greater comparisons on ESPN. I think this guy is legit. He's doing it with more power than ever. We've seen huge home runs from him. I think he keeps it up. 
And that's going to be our time for today. You can find us on Twitter at Trip Morning. You can find us on Instagram at Morning Roundtrip. We'll be right back here tomorrow morning. Thank you for listening, everyone. And for Drew Frank and Liam Crothers, have a great day.